Good morning. How is everyone today? Are all your driveways shoveled out and your hearts are still working? That, that, uh, we hope so. Uh, this past summer, I, I mentioned this a few months ago, this past summer, Deb and I made a trip to Glacier National Park in Montana to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. It was, yeah, yeah, it was an incredible trip, uh, an incredible place. Um, seeing the mountains, seeing the, the animals um, there in the park, uh, seeing the glacial lakes and the marshes. Um, Glacier National Park has one of the most harrowing drives in the United States. Uh, if you ever go there, if you hear about it, you'll, you'll know that. It was an incredible time. Um, on one of the last days of our trip, we were in an area of the park that is uh, not as busy as the rest of the park. It's kind of in the northwest deep corner of uh, north, northwestern Montana um, at a place called Polebridge. Um, there, is, there at Polebridge, there is this place called the Polebridge Mercantile. It's a, it's a little store that looks like it's from the Old West, and it's famous for huckleberry bear claws. Huckleberry bear claws. So a bear claw, like a, a Danish kind of a deal. Um, so we had to go explore this area, get a huckleberry bear claw. And mostly we went to that area because we wanted to do a hike that day on what was called the Cyclone Lookout Trail. The, the hiking guide describes the Cyclone Lookout Trail this way. Cyclone Lookout Trail is a 4.2-mile, lightly trafficked, out-and-back trail located near Polebridge, Montana, that features a great forest setting and is rated as moderate. The trail features an 1,142-foot vertical climb and is primarily used for hiking and horses. That's right, we wanted to go hike on a horse trail. It was, uh, I'm not sure what we were thinking. So we went to the Mercantile. We bought a couple of Huckleberry Bear Claws. And we tried to find the trailhead for the Cyclone Lookout Trail. We looked at the map. We looked at the trail guide. We went on the internet, which was difficult because the internet was only available within about 30 feet of the mercantile. And we couldn't figure out where to go. We knew it was there somewhere. And we knew that we would make it to the trail somehow. But it just didn't make sense to us. Finally, we asked a young guy who worked in the mercantile, and he said, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to drive back out to the main road and turn left on North Fork Road. You go about a half mile and turn right on Hay Creek Road. It may not be marked very well, but that's the only road that's paved. And, uh, and so you can turn right on that. Uh, follow Hay Creek until you come to Route 909. Turn left on it. It's paved for a little while, and then it becomes gravel. Take it, it will eventually become dirt. You go about three or four miles and then you'll be there. You'll be right there at the, at the trailhead. So we start out on our adventure. We find North Creek Road and Hay Creek Road and turn left on 909 and it's paved and then it turns to gravel. But there are no signs anywhere for the Cyclone Lookout Trailhead. I'm watching the mileage and finally we see this little place on the left side of the road that has barely enough room for one or two cars. And I said to Deb, I think this is it. I think it's the trailhead. And my wife, in all of her um, kindness, said, are you sure? <laughs> I neglected to tell you that across from the area where the car would fit, there was a big metal gate that was closed and locked. So I try and check on the internet, are we in the right place? But there is 
no internet because we're in the mountains in a really remote place. So we sat and tried to figure out what to do. We get out, we're looking around, and just at that time, this truck comes the opposite direction down 909. It's, it says forestry service on the side of it, and it has two guys who, I, I've just got to tell you, looked really rough in the truck. We're in the most remote part of Montana. We're the only ones there, and these two guys in a truck, and let me tell you, I heard deliverance music in my, in my head, all right? But I stop and ask him, is this the trailhead to the Cyclone Lookout Trail? And, the, and they said, yep, that's it. You're in the right place. So I take a last bite of my Huckleberry Bear Claw. We gather our gear and we start to hike. About a quarter of a mile down the trail, past that locked metal gate, there's a truck there that's been abandoned. Um, there's no sign of life. And for the next hour, we hike through the mountains on a trail that continues to narrow. And no kidding, we never saw another living being. More than once, my beautiful wife says, are you sure we're on the right trail? <laughs> In the meantime, we keep climbing higher and deeper into the forest. It's bear country, and all we can see is trees. Trees everywhere. There's no trail signs, no lookout, no top of the mountain, no sense of when this trail is ever going to end. I'm sure you've been there. Maybe not at Cyclone Lookout Mountain Trail uh, exactly, but you've been in a place in your life where you didn't have a clue whether you were on the right path or not. You've been in one of those places that you thought, I, I don't know if I'm making the right decisions. There were all these signs, and I just don't know. A health issue comes up, and, it, and you have multiple options for treatment. You're not sure what to do. Your kids get in trouble, and you don't have any idea what the right discipline is for them. Your boss at work, work asks you to do something that isn't technically illegal, but in your gut, you just think, that I don't think that that's right. You ask questions, you do your homework, but you can't see what the end result is so you don't know if you're on the right path or not. Today I wanna to take a look at, at a passage in Proverbs that can help us live well and think right and can serve as a type of compass for us for when we're trying to figure out if we're in the right place, if we're on the right path, when we're uncertain about what lies in front of us. If you remember, Proverbs is a collection of Solomon's uh, observational uh, truth. It's a collection of wisdom that he wants to pass on to his son. And, and hear me in this. These two verses that we're going to look at today, they are gold. They're the kind of verses that you want to memorize. You want to have at the front of your mind. You want to have them up in your bathroom, up on your dashboard, so that you can remember Solomon's truth that he passes along. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. If you want to take your Bibles and take a look at that, if you've got the app open with the sermon notes, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. What I want to do is spend some time this morning with each of those four phrases. 
unpack them so that we can wrestle with them and we can begin to apply them in our lives, no matter what's going on. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I don't know if you've ever really thought about it, but if we're serious about following Jesus, that really captures it. That's what it's all about, right? Trust the Lord with all your heart. We, we want to trust him with our eternal destiny, right? We want to trust God that when we die, he's going to allow us to be with him eternally in heaven. We want to trust him when we're in a crisis, when we feel like we're, we're in over our heads and we don't know what to do and we call out to God, God, help me. We want to trust him then. But the challenge is whether or not we trust God with our whole heart every, in every area of our lives every day. That's the issue for us. Let me just lead with this truth that is sometimes hard for us to grasp. We can trust God. Say that with me. We can trust God. He does know best. He is more powerful than we are. He sees things that we can't see. He loves us more than we love ourselves, and we can trust him. There's a song that we've been singing a lot over the last several months, and, and if we believe it as we sing it, it reminds us that God is worthy of our trust. We sing, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I don't know about you, but when you sing, the, when I sing those lyrics, man, there, there's like a, a movie going on in my head of the times that God has proved his faithfulness to me personally. We can trust God. This morning we sang, God, your love never fails. If God created the earth, we can trust him no matter where we are on the earth. If God is the one who gave us life, we can trust him with the lives that we live. If God is all-powerful, we can trust him when we feel powerless. If God is the one certainty in all of history, we can trust him when our life is uncertain. Does trusting God imply that we just walk with a kind of a blind faith, that we don't really take any action in life, um, that we don't do due diligence when we're in those places of crisis and we're not sure what to do? It doesn't mean that at all. I think that you'll see that as we flesh out these next two verses. But, but hear me in this. Trusting in God means that we don't force the solution. That, that when we're working through something, we don't try and make God do what we think the end result should be. We, we don't force the solution. Trusting God means that we don't force the timing. Much of the time when we're in crisis, we're not what, sure what to do. We say, God, we, I want you to fix this, but you need to fix it in the next 48 hours. Right? Anybody been there, done that? We don't force the timing. Trusting God means that we don't force the means, that we don't decide ahead of time, God, this is how you're going to fix this problem. I've got it all figured out. You just ask me and I'll tell you, and that's what I want you to do. Trusting God means that we don't force the solution. We don't force the timing. We don't force the means. And trusting God means that we follow his lead even if we don't like where he leads us. Even if it's uncomfortable. 
So much of the time, we're trying to figure out who to marry or whether to change jobs or careers or where to go for medical answers or whether to help that person that we see that's in need. And God gives us clear direction, but it's not the direction that we want or that we like or that we think will work. And so we take things in our own hands. We wrestle control from God. That's not trusting him. God is worthy of being trusted. We can trust God. He fixed the biggest problem in all of humanity. The problem of sin and brokenness and death. And he did that by allowing his own son to die for us. We can trust him. In what areas do you need to trust God? Let me, let me just say this. Where is the greatest fear in your life? What is the thing that you're most afraid of? I think that point of your greatest fear is the place where you need to trust God the most. Is it a fear of living life alone? Is it a fear of financial ruin or of living at a standard below what you think you should live? Is it a fear of forgiving that person who has hurt you, who has betrayed you, has hurt people that you love? Is it fear of getting out of your comfort zone? Is it fear of a move? Is it a fear of a health crisis? Is it a fear of being dependent on others? Craig Rochelle, a, a pastor out in Oklahoma City, said, what you fear the most reveals what you value the most. What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. One, one last thought on trusting God with your whole heart. Um, some, some of you have been burnt in the past. You've been betrayed by a spouse, by an employer, by a friend, by a family member. And that betrayal has wounded you so deeply that you've said to yourself, I will never trust again. Maybe you didn't say that audibly, but that's the way you're living your life, keeping people at arm's length, not being willing to take that risk to trust. It impacts your relationship with people and it impacts your relationship with God. If you wanna be healthy, you've got to learn to trust again. You need to get with a really good counselor, somebody who can help you work through that. You need to read the book of Psalms over and over and over again, maybe a couple chapters a day. Just read that over and over again. And what you'll find in Psalms is that you will find hurt and betrayal and pain and a trustworthy God, a God that proves himself over and over, that can take and handle the questions and the pain. I'm not saying, don't miss this, I'm not saying that you have to trust everyone equally, that you have to trust them immediately, or that you don't have to have healthy boundaries in your life. But if you know in your heart that you don't trust anymore, it's critical to your relationships and your spiritual life to learn to trust again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. And instead of trusting God, it's so easy to think that we have the solution to all of our problems. We trust our intellect. 
We trust our ability to convince or influence others. We trust our financial strength. We trust our planning ability. We trust our ability to think with the big picture in mind. We trust our connections with other people. And we forget that we have blind spots. But God doesn't have blind spots. God can see it all. Hear hear me in this. Don't think that you can figure out everything all by yourself. Lean not on your own understanding implies that you're teachable. Are you, at whatever age you're at in life, are you still teachable, willing to learn the lessons that God is calling you to? The idea that we say, you know what? I don't have to listen to them. I know I'm right. That's deadly for us. I want, I want to follow a bit of a tangent, if I can, for a moment, just chase down a, a rabbit here for a second that hasn't really fit in this Let Me Think series, but it applies to this particular verse, and so I want to go there. If you've been reading Proverbs, a, a proverb a day, if you've read through the book, you've seen three words over and over through, through the 31 chapters of Proverbs. The, the three words that if you're reading through that, that just keep coming up over and over and over again are wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. As I've studied through the book, as I've tried to process, okay, those words are sometimes used interchangeably, but they're different words and different concepts. What, what, how do you differentiate between the, the three of them? Wisdom in Proverbs is used to describe strategic thinking in war. It talks about having wisdom about going to battle. Strategic thinking in administrative matters, being able to recognize the things that need to happen in the future. Wisdom in Proverbs talks about shrewdness, about being shrewd. It's the ability to see past the surface issues with prudence. Wisdom is the ability to recognize the long-term effects of the solution to the problem that you have. It's the ability to see the spiritual principles that are at stake. Wisdom is really seen from God's perspective in the book of Proverbs. That's why Proverbs says over and over again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge in Proverbs is used to describe acquiring information. It's, it's learning data and about things. There's a moral quality that's involved in in that, and there's discernment that comes with that knowledge, the ability to identify right from wrong. And in Proverbs, knowledge often comes as a result of obedience or a lack of obedience. Knowledge knowledge has to do with with understanding how that fits. Understanding in Proverbs is really about the application of that knowledge. Knowledge is information. Understanding is about the application of that knowledge. It's taking what you know and putting it into practice. If wisdom, if wisdom is the ability to see from God's perspective, knowledge is book smarts, and understanding is street smarts. Knowledge is what you learn in school. Understanding is how you, make that, how you take that knowledge and apply it in everyday life. So when Solomon says, don't lean on your own understanding, he's saying, don't think that you have all the knowledge that you need, that you have all the information, that you know exactly how everything works and follow that path. If you're wise, 
you'll recognize that your knowledge and your understanding are limited. We, we don't think that though, do we? We think that we have the knowledge and the understanding to make decisions and to move on, that, that, that we have it, that we've got that under control. Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of, a highly effective, of Highly Effective People, tells about a Sunday morning that he was riding a subway in New York City. He describes it this way from his book. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful, serene scene. Then suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate in the subway car changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet, the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I couldn't believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone in the car felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt like was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. I don't know what to do or what to think. I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Covey thought he had all of the information that was necessary. A disengaged dad, kids running amok, tranquility disturbed. What's the solution? Get control of your kids. Only to discover that Covey didn't even have a fraction of the information that was relevant to that particular situation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Don't think that you've got it all figured out in whatever ways, in whatever situation you find yourself. Solomon then says, in all your ways, um, acknowledge him. In all your ways, submit to him. When I was growing up and, and first memorized these verses, um, it, it was in a translation that said, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Um, uh, Acknowledge is not really a good translation of the word that's there in the original language because it's easy for us to acknowledge the presence of God, right? To say, oh yeah, yeah, God, I know that you're there. I acknowledge that you're there. I acknowledge that you love me, that you care about me. But the meaning of the word is actually to submit to him. In all your ways, submit to him. Let him have control. That's a big difference. Even though Jesus wouldn't be born for a thousand years, Solomon captured the concept in this verse of the lordship of Jesus. When we talk about making Jesus Lord of our lives, what are we saying? That we will submit to him completely. That we will give him the keys to our car, the car of our life to drive. 
We're not gonna drive. We're not gonna try and grab the steering wheel. We're gonna let him drive. We're not gonna try and demand for God to do things our way. We're gonna trust him. We're gonna do things his way. We are no longer in charge, but he is. In all your ways, submit to him. In your finances, in your relationships, in your job, in your integrity, in the preparation of your taxes, in the way that you drive your car, in uh, if you have children, uh, how, how, how many children you have and how you parent, what kind of home you live in, whether an apartment or a mansion or a starter home or a mud hut, with whether or not to buy those big boy toys, even in your desire for vengeance when you've been wrong, when you when you have the sense of demands for justice, that we trust God, that we submit to him to accomplish his purpose. In everything, submit to him. What what did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all this other stuff is gonna be added to you. Seek first God's kingdom, God's righteousness, and food, clothing, shelter, all those things are going to be taken care of. Hear me in this. Your friends who are not followers of Jesus, they won't care if you practice the religion of deism. Deism is this concept that God created the world and that he just kind of lets it go. That he's up, uh, he's, he's up in heaven with the angels just waiting for the end of time. And he's not really involved in our lives at all. Your friends won't care if you believe in that type of God because it doesn't impact their life. It gives you maybe a good moral framework, but it doesn't change the decisions that you make. To live a life of submission to God, a life committed to the lordship of Jesus with your friends, that will make you a fanatic. That will make you an oddball. That will make... um, that will make you someone that your friends don't understand why you make the decisions that you make. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, in every area of your life, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. We've said that throughout this series that Solomon's book of Proverbs are not a book of promises but they're really a book of observational truth. So when Solomon says, if you trust God, if you submit to him, if, uh, if, if you don't lean on your own understanding, hear this, he's not promising you an easy life. Jesus said in John 16, here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. Take heart, I've overcome the world. John 15, Jesus said, if the, it says to his disciples, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. A straight path, when Solomon says, he'll make your path straight, a straight path doesn't mean that there will be absolute clarity or that there won't be uncertainty as we walk through life. A straight path doesn't mean that there won't be problems and obstacles and pain and grief and struggles. So what does it mean when Solomon says he'll make your paths straight? 
I think it, it means that he will provide for us a guide, both a book and a person, to, to deal with the obstacles that come through life, the potholes that we experience, to be able to navigate through and around those. Sometimes God removes them. And in, in making a straight path, he really does clear it out and take those things away. But more times than not, those things happen because we live in a broken world. And the straight path looks like the clear directions, the clear guide to be able to get to the de destination that you're searching for. God directing your path doesn't mean that you simply trust God, make snap decisions, and blast full speed ahead with whatever you want to do. Trusting God means that you still plan, you still pray, you still ask questions, and you make sure that you ask the right questions as you're trying to discern. How do I know that? Because Proverbs 16 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. We're still called to plan. We're still called to think. We're still called to map it out. Proverbs 21 says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. You still prepare for the future and do all those things. You're still trying to discern, to, to work through those obstacles. But God has promised that he'll walk with us, that he'll make those paths straight. Jesus talked about taking inventory and deciding whether or not it's worth it to you to be a follower of his, to count the cost of being a disciple. When you're faced with a difficult decision where there's not a clear path, how do you not lean on your own understanding? You start with scripture, right? It's the guidebook that God has given us. That's why it's so important. It's, it's why we talk so often here at North Point about, about reading and internalizing and, and uh, just consuming God's word getting it into our heads, into our hearts, because when we do that, it allows us to think with wisdom. It allows us to see from God's perspective. How, how do we do that? We need to get wise counsel from godly friends, from mentors, from teachers. That's why life groups are so important. That's why we talk about that so much. Getting counsel is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. It's not, it's not a sign that you don't have it all figured out. It's a recognition that you do have blind spots and you need people to speak into you. You know, oftentimes when, I, when, I'm, uh, when I'm at a crossroads, when I'm not sure what to do and I'm ready to make a decision, there's this tension in, am I following God or am I just doing what I want? You know, am, am I just, is this really what I want or is it what God wants? I think that there's a th kind of a threefold test that you can do to just process is this what God wants? The first is the choice that I'm going to make. Is it consistent with scripture? Is there anything in scripture that speaks directly to this situation or principles that apply to this situation? Is this path I'm choosing consistent with scripture? The second thing is to, is to get godly counsel, to have people in your life who can speak truth into you to say, man, don't go there. I've been there, it's a bad place. Or that say, there's danger. There's, you can go that path, but there's danger there. Get godly counsel. Or, or they might say, man, that is such the right path and affirm that for you. And the, and the third piece is just the sense of internal confirmation from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that you have a sense when, you're, when you come to a conclusion about what path you're gonna take, 
that you, you have deep inside you this sense of peace that is, yeah, that's the right thing. The opposite of that is to say, okay, this is the decision I'm gonna make. And there's something deep in your gut that just says, ah, yeah, I know you've convinced yourself of that, but it just, something's just not right in it. Scripture, godly counsel, confirmation from the Holy Spirit. That means that you've got to trust the Holy Spirit. You've got to recognize the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. What's it mean that God will make your path straight? A straight path means that there's a clear guide, both a book and a person, the Holy Spirit, to deal with the obstacles, the potholes of life when they aren't moved out of the way. When we were at Glacier and ready to hike the Cyclone, Cyclone Lookout Trail, what did we do? The first thing we did was look at the trail guide. It was our source to say, this is how we're going to get there. We looked for clear directions. We studied the map. It still wasn't very clear. We still were uncertain, so we asked for help. We didn't just ask any of the tourists there, because they didn't know. We asked the guy in the mercantile who had already hiked that path, who was able to give clear directions. When we got to the place that we thought we were in the right place, we asked the guys in the truck who knew what the answer was. They had credibility. As we hiked that day for an hour and a half, we never saw another single person. The path wasn't easy. And sometimes, for a short time, the path wasn't even clear. We, couldn't, we could never see the destination until we got there. But we had this certainty that we were right where we were supposed to be. With each step, there was this, yes, this is the trail. This is the place. It was a long, hard hike. And frankly, we thought more than once about quitting. But I've got to tell you, when we came out into the clearing on the top of Cyclone Mountain, it was incredible. The view was spectacular. The people we met who were stationed at the lookout, who had made the journey many times, they were thrilled that we were there and welcomed us with open arms. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know the decisions that you need to make or what you're struggling with. But what I can tell you is this. Let Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 be your compass, be your guide. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will direct your paths. Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word speaks so directly to where we live, so um, specifically to the situation that we're in right now. God, all of us who are here struggle we struggle with knowing the right thing to do in so many different areas. God, like, like Peter, we say, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. God, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. God, forgive us when arrogantly we think that we have it all figured out and we know what needs to happen, how it needs to happen. Help us to not trust our own understanding. God, help us to submit to you completely. 
to allow you to have control of every area of our lives. And God, help us to trust you as you make our paths straight. In Jesus' name, I pray.